Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast, where we take the Word of God and preach a timely message from the pulpit of Victory Baptist Church of Fallon, Nevada. So that kind of explains our ministry there in the Ivory Coast of West Africa. The pastors um, need about $100 a month. Uh, We'll help free them up to grow their churches. A lot of the pastors spend all week long um, farming, uh, working in the field, trying to feed their family. Some of them had crops that didn't make, so they were really uh, malnourished and hungry, um, just struggling. And so $100 a month covers the pastor. But then we looked at how, how can we help these churches become self-sufficient? Because we don't want to support them for the rest of their life. We want to help their church become self-sufficient. And so that's really our goal when we go to a country is to find out how to help them, but also how, figure out how to help them become self-sufficient. Uh, and so their biggest need was the buildings. Uh, and so currently they build these mud huts and they squat on people's land, which is legal for uh, like a year. And then they have to tear it down and move somewhere else. And so no one really had the funds to build the church building. And so they're constantly kind of just floating around, um, losing congregation, getting some more, losing some, getting some more. And so they also aren't seen as a viable, um, legit church because they don't have a building. And so we started looking at how to help them with a building. That's not what our ministry really does. We're not interested in building churches. Other ministries build buildings. Um, But in the Ivory Coast, that was how we were going to help the pastors. Um, So we found out land's cheap. It's about 100, 200 bucks a parcel. And so a church would only need one to two depending on the size the church needs to be for the community. Um, and then uh, they all use, they all build out there with cement and mud. And so they make bricks, they let them dry. And that's how they build. So then they need metal roofs, concrete floors, doors, windows, and a concrete fence or block fence around the property to secure it. Um, and so all that comes to about around $6,000. Uh, so that's where we came up with the three years. Um, and the, then the pastors uh, there said, well, you can't just build them for them. They need to be um, investing in it themselves, too. It needs to be theirs. And so they're going to build the, the bricks, but they're also matching a, um, a three-to-one or a four-to-one, depending on the church, uh, contribution. And so the amount we set up to raise for them um, sh- it shows that they're going to match it 25 or 33%. Uh, and so the church is going to give sacrificially uh, to give uh, so that they can build this church with matching funds from um, churches that want to partner with them. And so um, that is kind of a three-year project. And so within three years, we feel like the pastor will uh, be in a better spot financially. The church will be established. And the best thing is the people will have given for three years sacrificially, um, which is something that's been hard to teach in West Africa. Because they are so poor, they don't have much. Uh, they haven't been faithful in giving, which has hurt their their pastors becoming self-sufficient and having to spend so much time in the field. Um, but they really feel like three years of giving for their church building, which they desperately want. The people are, have agreed to give. They want to see their church established, have a building, and we'll teach them to give. And then after three years of them sacrificially giving, um, you know, people that learn to give don't generally stop giving after they see God blessing them, especially when they're giving sacrificially. Um, And so not only will they have a physical church, uh, not only will um, they be done with the building project, but then the pastors can take that 
that church can take what they've been giving for the building, transition it to taking care of their pastor, continue to give, and then they'll be self-sufficient with the building. Uh, and so that's the goal in the Ivory Coast. There's, I think right now there's a dozen pastors in their Bible Institute out there, and uh, new villages being reached all the time. And so the idea is a three-year commitment and get the church going and move on to another one. So uh, a really unique project. Love the project. Missionary's been out there almost 30 years, done a great job setting up the infrastructure. And they're in their mid-70s now, I believe. And so uh, only go out there a few times a year for a little bit uh, due to their health. He had a heart attack and a stroke last year. And so uh, just able to partner with them to help their ministry flourish even after they're done out there and they're called home. Uh, their ministry will be able to keep going if we can get behind and partner with these pastors uh, and keep reaching villages in, in West Africa. So that's really what the Ivory Coast is about. That's uh, how we're able to help there. Every country is different. Um, and so I just wanted to kind of give you a, I, I spoke this morning broadly about what the ministry does, but I felt like this would give you kind of a, a specific idea about what our ministry does. Um, and so I'll go ahead and open up to questions, see if anyone has any questions in the back here. Okay, Mike. Yeah. My question is: Is that okay? You're you're talking about helping the pastors there. How do they become pastors? I mean, meaning like, do you just like find them, or, or is that something that has already been established? Sure, that's a good question. So I'm gonna answer that kind of in a long way. Um, but how do we find the pastors? Well, the pastors are there. Um, in order to work with CORE, they have to be already pastoring. We're not a for-hire ministry. Um, you have to be, we're looking for pastors that are struggling, that are already obeying God. Um, for one reason, um, we want to see them obeying God and doing what they're supposed to do without help. Um, but then also, in other countries in America, it's not really this way, but in other countries, being a pastor is a prestigious position. So it demands respect in the community. And so people will sign up to be a pastor. Whether they're saved or not, whatever they believe or don't believe, they'll sign up to be a pastor because it's immediate respect. People in the community have to show them respect. And so um, that's part of the reason for that policy. Uh, but how we find them, it always starts with a referral. So I'll use the Ivory Coast, for example. There's a pastor five minutes down the road from our sending church. Um, and he's actually why we're in Egypt. Um, but he was telling me about this missionary in the Ivory Coast that was doing a great job. And then this missionary in the Ivory Coast reached out to me and said, hey, um, um, this pastor recommended I reach out to you. And so that's how it starts. It starts with referrals. Uh, that way we're not wasting our time uh, with people that aren't doctrinally like-minded. We're not going out to visit them and finding out, oh, our philosophy is different. Our, our doctrines are different. This, you know, We just spent thousands of dollars to go out and see you only to find out that it's not. Um, worth it and that we can't partner with you now the sad thing is that still happens from time to time but by doing starting with a reference from someone that we already know pastor a missionary someone um, that really helps us weed out um, and get to the guys that are like-minded that are needing the help and and have the structure to help us uh, because we have to have accountability we have to have certain things within our ministry in order for it to even work and so these pastors are pastors that have uh, like in the Ivory Coast, they've already graduated from Bible Institute. 
and are already actively pastoring. They're just very, um, they're struggling and in need. So these pastors have already gone to school or whatever yes and then they go back home is that what it is yeah so uh, like in, i'm just going to keep going with the ivory coast um so these pastors out in the ivory coast they go to the bible institute that a missionary established there and it's actually led by one of the nationals um who speaks english he's well educated and um so he trains the other pastors and they do that um every other month for one week it's a modular because they can't leave their families for that long and so they'll travel, some of them, five, six hours each way to meet up for one week of intensive classes um, and do a modular, and then they'll go back home. And so that's how they get their training. Um, they have to graduate from there before they can be a pastor. Um, a lot of them will serve alongside another pastor for a while. Um, there's lots of uh, ways they get their training. So is that, is that, do you go to the institute, and that's how you found out? No, so uh, we found about them th through the missionary contact that reached out to me through our main contact. So basically it's word of mouth. Yeah, okay. word of mouth. And we require that word of mouth, that referral, that reference, just because it helps us weed out. We have people contact us every week that want us to support them. Um, but we don't necessarily know what they believe, or they could look on our website and figure out what we believe and claim to believe that too. Um, believe it or not, there's a lot of corruption, not just in America, but in other countries. So. Uh, we have to be very careful about our processes and policies to help make sure that accountability is what it should be. That was going to be my question, because I do know my husband and I support a national minister down in um, Kenya. Okay. And we know how bad it can be without serious accountability. Sure. And that's what I guess you answered my question about the accountability, they, the way you guys yeah, so that's part of it. Having we got to have a main contact there, um, and so like in the Ivory Coast, I'll just keep going down this road. Some it's our missionary, but then he's established a national pastor that runs the orphanage. He pastors the church, and he's kind of his main contact. He teaches in the Bible Institute, and the missionaries raised him since he was a boy, and so um, they have a very close relationship. He's our main contact there. And, um, and so we got to have a main contact. They have to fill out accountability reports each month. And so we send the money each month to uh, the missionary. Uh, he sends it to, in the Ivory Coast, that main contact, that national pastor. And then he distributes it each month to the pastors directly. Um, and then the pastors send us an accountability report each month. So we have a financial circle of accountability so we can show that the funds that were sent got to the right pastor. Um, it allows them to write down some prayer requests um, and then also an update on their ministry. So that's coming in once a month to help build relationship, help build accountability, and know what's going on. So those reports help us. The main contact is crucial. Having someone there, um, that has helped us several different times. We had one last year um, in the Philippines where a pastor, our main contact, reached out to me and said, hey, I think something's up with this one pastor. And I said, what do you mean something's up? And he said, well, he just seemed different. Something seems different. And I said, well, can you go check on it for us? And he said, yeah. So about two weeks later, he, he had to drive four or five hours each way to go check on this pastor. So he took a day off, went to go check on him. Well, he got out to his church, and the property was overgrown. No one was there. Started walking in the community, talking to people, trying to figure out where the pastor was. And it turns out the month before, he'd left and gone to another island um, to a bigger city. Um, and so he didn't tell us he was still sending in his report, but our main contact said, Hey, 
something's different with his communication, how he acted. Uh, he might have wanted funds differently, but he was able to tell right away something's different with this pastor. Um, and so that, that's crucial. Uh, and so there's several different levels that we have to have in our process to even work with a group of pastors to, to have that accountability and structure. Do the pastors have to pay for their training, or is it like a discipleship kind of program where they're just like kind of taken under the wing and taught these things and then let back out in the community? Um, so in the Ivory Coast, the missionary covers the cost of the training. He provides the material. Um, and so they have to get there okay. and get home. But, yeah, it's, it's free for them um, to go to. Uh, oftentimes, though, they have to, uh, before they're in the institute, they have to start kind of being an assistant pastor and just kind of being with the pastor a lot for discipleship and just different things. All right, so I got two things. Uh, first, so like if, if our church was to take on a national pastor or a few national pastors, uh, do we get communication from that to find out how that ministry is doing? Sure. And then the second thing, uh, several weren't in here when you were talking about mos uh, Mosquito, the Mosquito people. So if you'll... Uh, Tell us about that again, too. Okay. That'd be great. So if you, <clears throat> our, our partners can have as much influence and information as they want. Um, some churches just want to write a check, and that's it. Some churches want to be involved, and so we can help you go see them. You can have their contact info. Um, you'll get the reports each month. You can be as involved as you want. One pastor views it as that's their church planner, and they only, like, they support him fully. And so they're the only people praying for him, and they're his basically church uh, and so they send him it's a guy in India and it's 250 bucks a month for him and so they send him his 250 every month through us um, but he has communication and so if you want that communication you can have it there are some things we ask you know like if they start asking for money directly just some different things to let us know um, but you can be as involved as you, as you want to be you can go out there and see them have a vbs with them do evangelism whatever you want to do we will help you facilitate that as much as we can uh the mosquito people uh, are in honduras that's a region where we were given a property 72 acres it's got a house a dormitories uh they used to have a medical clinic out there um, pastors training and bible institute and so it's been vacant for 12 years and so they we were just given that property last year so we're getting it back to operation um, but we're calling it base camp so that we can go and base out of it because we can reach there's a hundred thousand people in that area and uh, we can get to most of the villages within two hours either boat through the rivers or by truck um, four-wheel drive truck getting through the dirt roads um, and so we'll be able to help minister to them and help them um, with their churches there's a lot of churches out there that the missionary helped reach there's a lot of pastors still pastoring that were trained by that missionary um, but it's been a 12 years since anyone's been out there um, and so they haven't had really any encouragement for their training are they lacking bibles they're lacking just all these things and so um, it's a way for us to be a help and a blessing out there Did that cover what you wanted me to say about it okay so, any other questions hmm? so the missionaries left and went to africa they felt like their time there was done. So they turned it over to the mission board, and they did a few camps for a year or two out there uh, and then kind of forgot about it, I guess. Actually, uh, when we found out about, a, about it, another missionary had been given a 100-year lease on the property and had done nothing with it um, and had no vision for it. 
And so we were, every time we'd go out there, he'd mention it to us. And so we finally asked, Ike, could you give it to us? Because we have some vision for it. And he was like, yeah, if you can get the mission board to agree to that, I'll sign off my lease and you can have it. And so uh, we called the mission board and they were like, what property? (laughs) We don't know we have property out there. And so there'd been enough turnover in the president, vice president of that mission board uh, in this time frame that no one knew about it except one or two of the board members that had been around. And so finally they, uh, we went and presented our vision for it. And um, they said, well, great, how much you want to pay for it? And we said, well, we'd rather you just give it to us. And so they gave it to us. <laughs> so so uh, for your wife, uh, we'll let her answer. Okay. Sometimes we let the man do all the talking, and I think I'm it's good to hear let her from, talk. Yeah, so Lauren, uh, tell us about, like, your role in the ministry. And then tell us how, like, maybe the countries that have had the biggest impact on you uh, what it's life like traveling as a missionary's wife and, and doing all those things. Okay. Um, I'm going to start with which ones had the most impact on me. When I was younger, um, a teenager, I surrendered to full-time service, whatever the Lord wanted me to do. But I had it in my mind that I was going to be a missionary in Africa. I don't know why, but I always had a heart for Africa. And so um, when Tim and I got married— we asked the Lord, where are we going? And he said, I want you to just stay here. And so we had a business and every year at missions conference, Lord, where are we going? And he'd say, I want you to stay here. And so, um, when we, we took our first missions trip with core and got connected with them at national pastors and really had a heart to help any way that we could, but God had not called us to sell everything and go work for core yet. And so, Um, we just, we kind of, we started praying, Lord, how can we help? And not too much longer, um, Brother TJ had just kind of put it out there that he needed um, some help, uh, some coordinators to help in the accountability process. And so um, we said, we'll help you, what do you need? And he said, well, I need an African coordinator and I need an Asian coordinator. And so my first role with CORE was working with all of the African national pastors and being in contact with them and receiving their reports and praying for them. And it was just such a sweet confirmation. And so um, we've been able to travel uh, quite a bit the last few years with CORE, but my favorite place has been the Ivory Coast and has been Africa because that's always on my heart. In fact, I told Tim, I said, if you die, I'm coming right back here. (laughs) Um, And he says, not until he dies, because it's a hard place. Um, My role within CORE, I am over all of our coordinators um, who um, contact the pastors and kind of take care of them. And then um, I also take care of all of the finances. Is that, did you ask something else? Is that all? Just just what it's like to be a missionary's wife. Oh, um, we love it. We really love it. So, um, we've always been more compliant people as far as like rules and things growing up. Like my brothers were the rebels. It wasn't me. I was always very compliant. And so my parents didn't tell me no that often just because I honestly, like I was a good kid. And so, um, but as an adult, Um, the Lord has told us no several times on things. Um, For instance, where are we going? And he would say, no, I want you to stay here. And so we just, um, 
he's taught us a lot of lessons through that, but um, he's kind of brought us to Ephesians 3.20 that says he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think. And so there were a few things that he said no to that I just had a really hard time getting over. And he, he said, all right, what is your dream? And um, I said, this, this is a list. If I could have anything in life, this is what I would want. And he said, well, my, my plan is better for you. Do you trust me? And so when I finally gave over and said, okay, I trust you, then he's just slowly been showing us and teaching us um, that his plan is better than anything we could have wanted. We get to travel the world, um, not even just in seeing really cool things, but God is doing great works all over the world. And he doesn't need us to do that work, but he allows us to be a part of it if we want to, and he allows us to see it. And so there's times um, sitting in the Ivory Coast, you know, watching them worship when the Lord just whispers, my plan was better, wasn't it? You know, or we got to go to the Taj Mahal a couple years ago. And, you know, those times God's just like, see, isn't my plan better? And we really are, um, it, it's fun. It's fun. Every, life has its challenges no matter what you do. And, um, but when you're doing what God wants you to, and he just, it's like he really does just pour blessings on you. And it is a lot of fun. We do enjoy it. Is it on? Oh, it is. Okay. Okay. My question's kind of for both of you. You guys don't have any children, right? So where does that fit in or does it at all in your ministry? So that's one of the things that the Lord said no to. And um, for many, many, many years, we did everything that we could, and the Lord just said no. And I, my goal was to raise missionaries or pastor's wives or whatever, turn them back to God. And um, that just wasn't his plan for us. And so it does allow, it allows us to get up and travel the world and to do things that maybe we wouldn't be able to do together um, had, had we had a house full of children. Yep.